It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Mark Thiessen standing by to put it all in perspective. Uh, Governor Asa Hutchinson will be here today, too, as well. Devastating news with the collapse of half a condo in Miami out of nowhere. Still no reason. Uh, It only looks like uh, one person has lost their life. Hopefully that's it. Uh, They are not looking for anybody. I don't know if they expect it. Uh, It looks like these people never had a chance. We'll talk about that. Also, 1145 has been announced. President Biden will welcome the Bipartisan Committee on Infrastructure that has come to an agreement amongst them, Republicans and Democrats. We don't know if Mitch McConnell's fully endorsing, but they're invited to the White House. Will will Joe Biden have to live on a trillion dollars? And as as opposed to 2.4, would Bernie Sanders want six trillion? So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. There was in total 9,000 athletes from 100 countries that came to Wuhan in October. So this would have been two months before the Chinese government recognized that they had an outbreak. And now what we know is that certain athletes from countries like Germany, Italy, and France have reported flu-like or COVID-like symptoms after the games. Uh, where There you go. Uh, that is Mike Gallagher. COVID-19 origin story took an intriguing turn. You heard about this? Was the virus in Wuhan in October, not November? Our military might know. We had our athletes over there competing. Uh, recovered deleted data also unlocks more in questions for China and raises even more questions on Fauci. Number two. Was it important for the White House to have her seen at the border before former President Trump has a trip there next week? Uh, We made an assessment uh, within our government about when it was an appropriate time for her to go to the border. (laughs) Uh, No, I think it's just a coincidence. I really do. A hundred days too late. VP Harris has announced it's going to the border on Friday, but picks the wrong city. And the timing shows it's pure politics as they scramble to beat Trump to the border. Does this get any closer uh, to stopping the flow, her showing up in El Paso? Sadly, no. Number one. Crime is historically rises during the summer. And as we emerge from this pandemic, with the country opening back up again, the traditional summer, summer spike may be more pronounced than it usually would be. Uh, he was so awful yesterday, let alone his way to ameliorate the crime problem in America, he could barely make out a word. President Biden correctly highlights the top issue in America, crime, but his way of addressing the problem is a problem. He He's awkward. He's clumsy. He announces it's all about the gun, not the shooter. It's all about the gun seller. That's the issue. He disempowered law enforcement. He's let everybody out of jail. He's got no bail, no cash bail reform. Uh, and now he says, cops, help me out. Forget it. Joining me now is Mark Thiessen. Mark, first off, uh, I never think I don't think Joe Biden's been sharp in you know since he be, in maybe 2008. I mean, even when he was sharp, he was making mistakes. What I saw yesterday was flat out alarming. Before we talk about the content, did you see that delivery? I, I missed it. No, I didn't see it. Oh, put it this way: uh, hold on to hold on to something tight when you watch it. One word led into the other. I mean, what he announced 
is important. What he believes is he knows this won't work. He's talking about getting guns off the streets by getting illegal guns off the streets. Even though cities have tight laws, other states don't. Does he understand what, that we've been sober for the last year and we watched this happen? We know why. No, he doesn't. He doesn't understand. And, the, and also the other thing that he did say in that uh, press conference that I found shocking was, so, you know, this isn't about guns aren't about, you know, for protecting us from a tyrannical government because government has nuclear weapons. So yeah, for you don't need you don't need weapons uh, to, to, to protect yourself from a tyrannical government. Look, the, the reason we have uh, a First Amendment. Uh, or a second, a second Amendment, rather, is not because of sports and hunting. It's because the gun ownership is – our founders understood that gun ownership is key to a free society. Uh, that if we – I mean, if we had had gun control during colonial times, we'd all be speaking English. <laughs> you know? Yeah. The, 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 we, we were armed, and that was why we were able to get our freedom. And by the way, if you look at the actual Second Amendment – um, it, it, the, the language of the Second Amendment says you know, that, uh, that uh, a re- well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. Well-regulated in, in that period of time didn't mean government regulation. It meant well-armed, right? Yeah. And the, what is the militia? The militia, the first gun law in the United States, required every adult male from the age of 18 to, to 60 to be, part, to be armed. The militia is every one of us. So, so the founders understood the real language of the Second Amendment is a well-armed population being necessary to the security of a free state. The right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. We are all technically, even today, under the law, we are all technically part of the militia. And well-regulated meant well-armed. So this is, this is the fundamental reason why we have the Second Amendment is to prevent a tyrannical government from ever coming, uh, coming up. People say, well, that's not possible, not likely to happen again. Look at the history of the 20th century. Lots of democracies have fallen uh, apart. We need to – it's just a fundamental part of our freedoms, and it's why America is an exceptional country. Yeah, well, let me just give you an idea of the non-gun-related crimes. Hate crimes up 116 percent. Pickpockets up 117 percent. Carjackings up 104 percent. Rafe up 100 percent. Auto theft up 23 percent. Arson up 20 percent. The, do you really think he's addressing crime? And how, if I'm a police officer, I am enraged today. You've been defamed. You've been defunded. You've been targeted as the reason. You've been told to reimagine your job. You've been told to hit the, to hit the pavement and that you're the problem. And now you want the men and women in blue to bail you out. Also, Joe Biden's got something else to add. It's summer. Cut to. Crime is historically rises during the summer. And as we emerge from this pandemic, with the country opening back up again, the traditional summer, summer spike may be more pronounced than it usually would be. And he talked about the need for summer jobs and programs. Excuse me. If anything we have right now, it is jobs. Nine million open, begging for restaurant help, begging for manufa- uh, warehouse help. There's nobody who doesn't want to hire. So please don't tell me that the Bloods and Crips don't have any job opportunity. He never brought up gangs. Is he kidding me? I, I was, I'm just out, outraged by what he tried to jam down our throats. Now, Mark, you know politics. What internally did he see, did Democrats see, that had him scramble to the microphone to talk about crime? Well, number one, that the crime statistics are through the roof. And also keep in mind, you, let, you ticked off all the statistics about the rise, uh, rise in violent crime. 
This was happening during a pandemic when everyone was locked in their homes, when businesses were shuttered. So there should have been less opportunities for people to shoot people because there were less people out and about, right? Absolutely. So crime should have gone down during a pandemic if it wasn't for these other factors. So what, what's causing it? What's causing it is the fact that they've vilified the police, that they've made people feel that they've basically told every police officer, if you get into any kind of questionable situation, we are going to assume the worst about you. We will assume that you that did that you did something wrong. We'll, we'll assume that you're at fault. And so, what is the natural reaction of a police officer when that happens? Why would they take a risk? Except for the really, really brave ones, uh, because there's no, there's no, there's no point in putting yourself at that kind of risk. They don't want to end up uh, like some of these police officers who have been uh, who have been accused of terrible things, and it turned out that they didn't do anything wrong. They're desperate to get the word to fund the police away from Democrats. Evidently, that's the single most devastating term. They did an autopsy of their own lack of success in 2020, and that was it. So Joe Biden can't run from it because his wild left really believes we should defund, and they have. They did in Los Angeles. They did it in New York. They did it in Philadelphia. They've done it in Austin, Texas. So they are actually defunding, even if they don't want to say it. I want to fast forward to the border talk because now Vice President Harris will go down for two hours or 90 minutes to El Paso. El Paso, <laughs> 800 miles from the Rio Grande sector. I mean, are we, are we she kidding? Yeah, apparently. I mean, look, there's there's a simple reason why she's after 90, almost 90 days, she's going down to the borders because Donald Trump was going to go to the border. That's simple. And and look, this this has been an absolute disaster on their part. Can you imagine if if Mike Pence had waited 90 days to go to the CDC after, after Donald Trump put him in charge of our covid response? And 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 on top of that, you know, if she had gone to the border right away. Then no one would be blaming her for in the administration for everything she saw there. It's like there's a crisis unfolding. I've come to the border to get a fact-finding mission. It's like a natural disaster. It's like if you show up the day after the, the hurricane hits, no one's going to blame you for the destruction. But if you show up 90 days, 100 days later, and it's still a disaster area, then then you own the destruction. So and the tr- difference, right. of course, is is this isn't a natural disaster. It's a man-made disaster. It's a disaster that's been made by their policy. He's the one who lifted the border uh, the border emergency. He's the one to put a moratorium on deportations. He's the one who lifted the Remain in Mexico policy. He's the one who suspended the uh, the uh, safe third country agreements with uh, with Guatemala, Honduras, and, and and the other Central American countries. This is a direct result of this. And by the way. One of the things they don't want to expose is the fact that they are separating more children at the border than Donald Trump ever did, because what they have done is they've created a situation. The president of Guatemala, when right before Kamala Harris came down there, said the day after Joe Biden was elected, the coyotes started gathering unaccompanied children and bringing them to the border because their border policies were that if you arrive unaccompanied, you're not getting sent back. But if you do arrive accompanied, then you might be. So what are parents doing? They're, sep- they're handing their children over to these coyotes who are taking them across the border, abusing them. We've seen all of these horrible images of children wandering in the desert without water or food, uh, dead crying, looking for, looking for a border agent to save them. And it's all because of the policies of this administration. So they claim to be against family separations, but their policy is encouraging family and, separations at and, the border. And because candidate VP Harris really doesn't think anyone should be turned away at the border. No one believed her when she said everyone in Guatemala don't come. And then she doesn't show up. Now she'll show up for 90 minutes. A couple of things I, I worry about this. Title 42, if it goes by the boards, we have turned around, according to their numbers, 650,000 people seeking asylum, saying Title 42, because of the pandemic, health reasons. 
reasons, you cannot come. Now they want to drop that. So let tens of thousands in also. They also want to say, you know those 70,000 people that were told to remain in Mexico as we don't process your asylum claims because you're not worthy? They want to reevaluate all of those applications to possibly bring them in. Also, to make it worse, there's a push among Democratic House members to freely vaccinate Illegal immigrants as they cross the border. If you want to pick up the pace on the amount of countries sending people through Mexico, say offer free vaccinations. <laughs> if you come to the border, you get a free vaccine. Where if you stay in your country, you can't get vaccinated. I mean, it's like these people don't understand cause and effect. It's it's insanity. And here's the other thing. You know, they claim just like they came to be against family separations, but they're but they're encouraging family separations. They also claim to be in support of of refugees. But the problem is, is that some upwards of 70 percent, 80 percent of the people who are coming from Central America don't qualify under the law as refugees for asylum. But there are thousands of people from other countries around the world that are dealing with political repression and all the rest of it who want to come here and have a justifiable asylum application. They can't get their applications processed and be considered for asylum because all these fake asylum seekers are, are jamming up the system. So if you actually believe in protecting actual refugees and giving sanctuary to actual refugees, you should be opposed to this to, to allowing these people to come in and make fake asylum claims. Last topic, Afghanistan. Uh, things are going so badly. The Taliban will are estimated, according to The Wall Street Journal and U.S. intelligence officials, didn't say if they were active or not, that they think it could fall within two years. So even before South Vietnam fell, when we're uh, we're getting our people out through the top of the embassy, the roof of the embassy in Saigon. We could be having that now. Uh, evidently, the Taliban, according to the deal, was supposed to sit down with talks with the Ghani government. They're not interested in doing that. It's gotten so bad. The militias are coming back. They took on the Taliban the first time. They're separating from the government forces. And a lot of those government, they will have 134 go into a neighboring nation, ask for asylum. A hundred were killed yesterday. Gahani is going to beg for a delay and some type of support uh, starting tomorrow when he arrives to speak to the president. What a disaster. Yeah, they went. They, the original intelligence estimate that it, it would take two years for the government to fall. They now think it'll fall in within six months. Um, and, and, you know, this is good. It, I don't understand why. The, so the, the thing about the Biden foreign policy team is it's basically the Obama foreign policy team. It's all the same people, right? These are the same people who presided over the withdrawal from Iraq, uh, from, uh, from Iraq that precipitated the rise of ISIS, right? And you would think that they would have learned their lesson. Okay, creating a vacuum for terrorists is a bad idea. It allows terrorists to come forward. Now the same thing is happening. On Biden's watch, the government in Kabul is going to fall and the Taliban is going to come back into power because of this, because of this policy. This is the country, and it's going to happen uh, you know, we're around the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. Complete capitulation to the, to the people who, who harbored and gave sanctuary to the terrorists that attacked us on September 11, 2001. I simply do not understand this determination to get to zero. And by the way, Biden says we still have a capability for over, over the horizon, you know, to, to take out terrorists over the horizon because we have these remote capabilities. No, you don't. 
because you need intelligence to find out where the terrorists are. And if you don't have troops on the ground, you're not going to get the intelligence. And nobody there who's, who you abandoned to the Taliban is going to trust you to give you intelligence on these guys because they're on the ground killing you. And the Americans have cut and run. And you gave him an Air Force, but you didn't give him contractor. So it's going to just rust away. And the Taliban are riding around in American Humvees right now that they've captured from Afghan security forces, by the way. All the weapons, all the train, all the things that we gave the Afghans to defend their country are going to be in the hands of the Taliban. Good luck. Uh, Mark, it's so aggravating because these people who are ignoring this story now will put it front and center. And Trump started it by saying we're just going to pull out of there, which was dumb. And everybody knew it. And now Biden is dumber and he's doing it stupidly. He was talked out of it. Right. He was talked out of it. But he had 2,500 troops there um, and now there's less. Mark, thanks so much. Take care. Bye. Governor Hutchinson at the bottom of the hour, uh, and we'll take your comments by going to BrianKillMe.com. Our phones still don't work because this city is a mess. Uh, Mayor de Blasio is walking in the park somewhere with his wife. Uh, we will come back with that and more. you listen to Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. This is further evidence that indeed we're seeing a Chernobyl-like cover-up of this pandemic. Because remember, we also have the Wall Street Journal report suggesting uh, that lab workers at the Wuhan Institute of Virology got sick in November. There's some suggestions by Redfield that it actually happened more than that. So we also need the medical records of the Wuhan lab workers that got sick prior to the broader outbreak. And again, this is critical because we didn't know till December that this was happening. And even then, we didn't know things about this virus that would have helped us, like the fact that we had asymptomatic transmission. So is there any more important scientific question than getting to the bottom of this pandemic so as to prevent another one? That is Congressman Gallagher, who has an intelligence background, who found out information. Also, he's mentioned Josh Rogan to me in the break, that he worked with Josh Rogan. Do you know there were Wuhan, there were military games being competed with, international military athletes competing in Wuhan in October of 2019, and some of which had symptoms, and they did note uh, the Americans have not been talked to by 
Mike Gallagher, but he's, he's asking formally for an interview with different athletes that showed up in Wuhan in October 2019. But the other athletes have reported saying Wuhan was like a ghost town. They kept saying to each other, where are the people? Which shows you, perhaps, I'm, I'm sure, but I'll just say perhaps to be responsible, that this virus was there. People were dying. Uh, they were dying, and China didn't tell us. And we're going to have this pandemic forever, and they still have not told us. Governor Asa Hutchinson is next, the 46th governor of Arkansas. We'll talk about how we turn this economy around with inflation going up. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. This doesn't affect responsible gun owners or Second Amendment rights. It helps keep guns out of the hands of people who shouldn't have them in the first place. From a child who accidentally picks up a, picks it up to a burglar or a violent criminal trying to steal it and use it. Uh, this is, I, I, I was offended from what I saw yesterday. Because we've been watching crime happen. We hear that, well, the, the cops started this because they've been too oppressive. We hear Minneapolis police, and we know what a, a evil person Derek Chauvin is with a terrible record, never should have still been on the job, period. But we watched all these cities deteriorate. And we said, how did people condemned Donald Trump for wanting to put federal troops into Seattle, into Portland, into Chicago? We said, why don't you just—the mayors have to ask me in to bring in the National Guard, but we got to do it. And now the crime is so overwhelming in cities and suburbs that they never expected to get into these neighborhoods that now the Democrats realize they're losing big time on this issue and to fund the police is synonymous with them. And they decide to attack crime by, oh, we're going to give some extra money to policemen. We're going to have more intervention social workers and we are going to get summer jobs for people because we know the summer is when kids have idle time and we're going to blame gun owners and gun sellers. He knows he's not telling the truth. And by the way, the worst speech I've ever seen a president make, he was exhausted. I didn't understand almost a word he was saying. He wasn't familiar with the copy. And I imagine he knew it was all uh, it was all uh, blowing smoke. Joining me now is Governor Asa Hutchinson of Arkansas. Hey, Governor, is crime a problem in this country? And do you think President Biden's addressing it adequately? Uh, crime is a problem in this country, and any time you simply go after uh, gun ownership, it's it's not the solution. Uh, you've got to go after uh, the hardened criminals. You've got to uh, make sure that you support the law enforcement, and that's the biggest challenge of all the things that uh, we're looking at. It is the discouragement of our men and women in blue. Uh, it is uh, the movement of defund the police, but it's also... Uh, everything else that you see that undermines uh, the law enforcement and those that are out there protecting public safety. And if you can't recruit people into law enforcement, if you can't uh, encourage them and support them, 
then you've got a you've got a crime problem, and uh, it doesn't take long for the criminals to pick up on that. Do you know Democrats? And, so we, and you know you have Democrats in your family. You know Democrats have been the ones saying reimagine policing. It's broken. Can't be. It's irredeemable. And we're going to defund the police. That did not come from uh, Donald Trump or a Republican governor in Arkansas. You know exactly where that come from, and the American people reject that. They do reject that because they want to have their community safe, their children and family safe. They want to have the freedom of movement and to go shopping without uh, a concern about being assaulted. And you just look at New York City, and I think back uh, when the high crime days of New York City, uh, Mayor Giuliani came in there. He toughened up that city. He supported law enforcement. All of a sudden, it was the most peaceful area imaginable in Manhattan, and now it's uh, – it's reversing course again, and and you cannot undermine police and expect to have uh, public safety. Um, especially Woody, when it comes to your gun laws in Arkansas, I mean, people are trusted to carry, right? In in Arkansas, we support uh, our police. Uh, we're not talking about defunding them. We're actually supporting them more and giving them increases and better uh, recruiting tools. Uh, secondly, uh, you're absolutely right. We have the freedom to uh, uh, support the uh, Second Amendment right, uh, and people are free to protect themselves. And uh, whether it's for protection or otherwise, uh, they have the freedom to carry firearms. And that's important uh, to discourage. Uh, uh, it's also important for safety. You Also, when we're on crime, I know one of the reasons you wanted to come on today is you want to talk about crack and cocaine. The difference and the difference to the way they're prosecuted and the offenses, it, the uh, dating back to 1986 when crack was just destroying the inner city in, in particular, um, which is a cheaper form of cocaine and more powerful. What do you plan on doing? Well, here again, it comes back to uh, supporting law enforcement because uh, anytime you have unfair laws and you expect the police to enforce them, it erodes our system. And so here. We've got uh, different sentences for crack cocaine versus powder cocaine, and they're chemically the same. And one of them, though, uh, you have a disproportionate number of African-Americans that use crack cocaine. You've got white Americans that use uh, powder cocaine. Uh, You can see those statistically in the defendants, and yet we punish crack cocaine more. They're chemically the same, and that prevents law enforcement from getting cooperation uh, it uh, in the minority community, they say, well, the law is unfair and it uh, treats us differently. And we've we've tried to reduce that. And Senator Sessions was a leader in reducing that disparity in sentencing, but we're not 100 percent there. And so uh, I support equalizing that. And yes, if there's an association with violence, our sentencing guidelines allows you to give them extra punishment if a firearm is involved. It allows you to give them extra punishment if they're a career criminal. But in terms of quantity, let's treat uh, both of those the same, and that's what I've been advocating for. Interesting. I called the Equal Act a support across the political spectrum from Dick Durbin to Rob Portman to Cory Booker, a bipartisan coalition of nearly 30 members of the House. So I can't see anyone standing in your way, especially in this environment. So good job highlighting that. Uh, and plus, if you're on co- cocaine or crack and there's no violence, rehab is the way. And the problem is a lot of these insurances kick you out after three or four weeks and nothing gets done in three or four weeks. So in a, a rehab that's financed in, a, in the bet, you know, obviously it's up to the person to get better. 
but but you know putting somebody in prison is it's not going to get anything better it's just delaying you're absolutely right uh, you know we uh, whenever you can't get over an addiction problem in 3 or 4 weeks you've got to have a longer term effort that's why uh, putting uh, funds into drug courts that have accountability but but alternatives to prison you hold them accountable you you make sure they get a longer term uh, treatment that's been a level of success but uh, let, we can't just incarcerate uh, for an addiction problem. You've got to separate that out from those that are hardened criminals, that are violent criminals, and treat those differently. All right, Governor Hutchinson, our guest. Governor, uh, this news relatively new. A bipartisan group of senators and White House negotiators have agreed today to meet about infrastructure. Evidently, the White House sees some promise in it. It's expected to be $600 billion in new spending, $1 trillion in pandemic spending that has just not been needed uh, and there's enough there that they're going to go meet with the White House. Can you bring me behind the scenes? What would it mean to Arkansas for you? And what do you need done in your state that, that you hope your senator is going to bring back like Tom Cotton, going to bring back to your state? And what do you hear about this? Well, uh, first of all, I applaud the Republican side for trying to hold it down to a an affordable amount or a reasonable amount. We can't uh, define infrastructure as social programs and spend uh, our way through that. This has got to be uh, roads and bridges and uh, the traditional type of infrastructure. So they're right on point there. And then in terms of Arkansas, the biggest challenge, the I-40 bridge across the Mississippi River is closed right now because they're doing bridge repair. Uh, There was a safety defect, uh, and luckily we found it before the bridge collapsed. Uh, But that's an example of the infrastructure improvements that we need in our country. And so the investment is right, but let's focus it. And uh, let's make sure that we're not uh, spending ourselves into oblivion on social programs in the name of infrastructure. We've got tons of money that's coming in in terms of pandemic relief. Uh, let's focus on serious infrastructure. And I do think this is an opportunity for a bipartisan uh, approach. Governor, we heard no, you know, obviously President Obama says, I got all these shovel-ready projects. It turns out there was none. He ends up giving the money, in many cases, to the states to pay their state workers. Is anything going to be different if you got a lump sum of money? Is there a way to cut regulations to get the tunnels and bridges built in various cities and the roads redone or, or, or areas upgraded? And the answer is if they give governors and the states the flexibility that's needed uh, without uh, uh, all of the uh, uh, bureaucracy involved, then we'll get it done. We've proven that we can do that. And the more flexibility they give us, the more you're going to see – Uh, money being spent for true infrastructure more quickly. Uh, We've done that in terms of uh, uh, the most recent uh, rescue plan. Uh, But whenever they talk about giving us flexibility, you see the Department of Treasury guidelines and they pulled some of that back. So it's very problematic and uh, hope they get in this infrastructure, give us the flexibility we truly need. Understood. Jen Psaki said this about the border, talked about this word success. Hold on tight. Cut 25. Well, first, I think the vice president has made a number of announcements about coordinated efforts um, with countries in the region, uh, in the Northern Triangle, uh, through her leadership uh, in that area. Uh, And 
we'll, we'll be able to assess over time what it looks like in terms of migration numbers. I was pointing to the fact that a couple of months ago, we were looking at very overcrowded Border Patrol facilities. We were looking at kids waiting for far too long in those facilities, and uh, there being a, a timeline of getting kids to vetted family members uh, that wasn't up to our um, up to our bar. Um, there has certainly been progress made in that regard, but uh, the work is ongoing. There's 179,000 people came illegally. That's we got, let alone the ones that don't we don't have. Uh, the there's about 70,000 unaccompanied minors here. Now they're in military bases out of our line of sight, and now they're evidently going through extreme anxiety because they have nowhere to go and no there's no timeline in getting them out. And now you have a vice president who's going to go to El Paso, 600 miles from the the Rio Grande Valley sector, which is the worst, and she's going to be in that 90 minutes. I've never seen such intentional failed leadership. What's going on here, Governor? How's it affect Arkansas? Well, it impacts uh, all of our country. Uh, I worked in border security under the Bush administration. We didn't get it perfect. But what we're seeing under the uh, Biden-Harris administration is leading to a humanitarian crisis. Uh, They've sent every signal to Central America saying – we're changing our policy. We're reversing the Trump tough policy. Just come on in. The border's wide open. And they can now try to reverse that language, but their policy has changed. And so uh, we have unaccompanied minors. We have drugs coming across. Uh, it is a true crisis there. And uh, one 90-minute trip's not going to solve it. They've got to go back to some of the Trump policies uh, in which uh, we showed a signal that we're going to protect our border and we're not going to allow it to be uncontrolled. We have to have a controlled immigration system in America that's open to legal immigrants, but we cannot just have it flooding across because the cartels just simply take advantage of that. What do you think will happen if we get rid of Title 42 that through a pandemic and a health emergency, we've been turning back somewhere between 600 and 700,000 people? What if that goes by the boards in two weeks, which I hear is going to happen? Well, it's going to be problematic. I mean, it's just once again saying uh, there's no consequence for coming into our country illegally. Uh, we're going to uh, make sure that you uh, are processed, that you get a hearing, you're going to be released into our country, and there's no criminal uh, consequences to it. And the Border Patrol gets frustrated uh, because uh, they want to be able to see the rule of law actually have meaning along the border. And now uh, they're spending all their time processing those that come in and not enough time being able to actually uh, uh, protect our border. Uh, you know, I applaud Governor Abbott and uh, for and Governor Ducey along the Arizona border, actually putting state resources there. Uh, but this is a national issue as to how it impacts Arkansas. You know, eventually uh, those that will be come in here illegally, will make their way into the inland, it will impact our services, uh, and it will, uh, uh, you know, compromise, uh, you know, our safety and uh, uh, mm-hmm. our, our drug life as well. Governor, are you looking at running for president a couple of years if things can uh, go well for you, uh, like they <laughs> have been? Are you, you looking at it? Well, let me put it this way. Uh, we're all focused on 2022 because our country's at stake. I'm term limited as governor uh, in 2022, so we'll see what the future holds beyond that. But I'm very concerned and interested in to make sure uh, that we do well in 2022 and we get our country going the right direction. But you don't need a break. You, you feel as though you got a lot of uh, you got a lot of serving left. 
I do. You know, I'm blessed uh, with good health and energy and uh, and I still care. And that to me, that is the uh, test of whether you still want to be engaged in public service. Got it. So you're really considering it. And why not? Uh, Governor, you have a wide swath of experience. And man, we need experience now. Uh, thanks so much, Governor. Brian, it's always great to be with you. Thank All you. Right. All right. Thank you. Back in a moment. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. I don't know what the what the issue of critical race theory is and what the relevance here uh, in with the department. We do not teach critical race theory. We don't we don't embrace uh, critical race theory. And I think I think that's a spurious uh, uh, conversation. And so we are focused on extremist behaviors and and not uh, not ideology, not not uh, not people's thoughts, not people's uh, uh, political orientation. Behaviors is what we're focused on. That's a little of uh, Lloyd Austin. I watched a lot of these defense hearings long form about some of the worries we have about China, uh, how we have to make we actually have to cut our budget in defense when Russia and China are spending more. But critical race theory came up and that was Lloyd Austin kind of ducking the question. Uh, General Milley did not. He's chairman of uh, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, CENTCOM, and he took on Matt Gates. Let's listen. On the issue of critical race theory, et cetera, I'll, I'll obviously have to get much smarter on whatever the theory is. Um, but I do think it's important, actually, uh, for those of us in uniform to be open-minded and be widely read. And the United States Military Academy is a university. Uh, and it is important that we train and we understand. Uh, and I, I want to understand white rage. And I'm white. And I want to understand it. So what is it that caused thousands of people to assault this building and try to overturn the Constitution of the United States of America. What caused that? I want to find that out. I want to maintain an open mind here, and I do want to analyze it. It's important that we understand that, because our soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, and Guardians, they come from the American people. So it is important that the leaders, now and in the future, do understand it. I've read Mao Zedong. I've read, I've read Karl Marx. I've read Lenin. That doesn't make me a communist. He's all over the place, uh, General Milley. First off, critical race theory indoctrinates. And what they're doing is not just saying, you know, they're saying that the country was not found in 1776. It was founded in 1619. Is that okay with General Milley? Is it okay with General Milley that a fourth grader or even a freshman in college has to apologize for being white? Is that okay? And by the way, I remember being told if I'm studying World War II, I had to read Mein Kampf by Hitler. That doesn't mean that my teacher was bad or that I want to be a Nazi. It's term, in terms of knowing what goes on. I believe I read uh, Karl Marx's manifesto as well. We, we, we were tested on it. We learned from it. But it wasn't lauded in front of us, especially when multiple minds are there. And then to find out what goes on on that day, January 6th, go ahead and do it. But to think there are a bunch of white supremacists infiltrating the, uh, the U.S. armed forces, I think is a bit of an overreach, don't you think? And to think that that's the number one problem of al-Qaeda and ISIS, that's a big issue. And there are men and women complaining to congressmen who say they're afraid to speak up because they'll be punished. 
It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hey, thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. This hour, we're going to be joined by General Jack Keane. Disturbing story in the Wall Street Journal. I sad to say, not surprised by any of it, how bad the evacuation's going for U.S. troops. Yeah, we'll get out safe, and that's great. But that's where the great story ends, because the Taliban are making such gains. They might not even last. The, the current Afghan government might not even last the year. What does General Jack say? He'll be with us shortly. Susan Lee's here to unwind the new jobless claims that just came in, as well as a Fox poll that showed the number one issue amongst uh, Americans, their number one concern Inflation, Inflation, number one, and taxes, the economy. too. Is yeah. that unbelievable? I believe it. You, you have everybody talking about why they have to pay so much at the grocery store to fill up their gas tanks these days. So 70% of Americans say that they have big problems and they are very concerned about the rise in prices. See, I knew Susan Lee was here, and I knew you <laughs> should. I had, you had to trust me for that if you don't have Fox Nation be able to see it. But uh, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. There was in total 9,000 athletes from 100 countries that came to Wuhan in October. So this would have been two months before the Chinese government recognized that they had an outbreak. And now what we know is that certain athletes from countries like Germany, Italy, and France have reported flu-like or COVID-like symptoms after the games. So do you understand what happened? Mike Gallagher, former uh, intelligence officer, said the Wuhan games took place in 2018 in October. Wuhan, they noticed no people were on the streets and a lot left with flu-like symptoms. Our military might know whether we actually had a COVID-19 strike in October, maybe earlier. And then these athletes left Wuhan to their respective countries and we have ourselves a pandemic. We need to get to the bottom of that story. Number two. Was it important for the White House to have her seen at the border before former President Trump has a trip there next week? Uh, we made an assessment uh, within our government about when it was an appropriate time for her to go to the border. Wow, 100 days too late. VP Harris has announced she's going to the border on Friday but picks the wrong city. And the timing shows she's afraid of President Trump. We'll talk about it. Number one. Crime is hist- historically rises during the summer. And as we emerge from this pandemic, with the country opening back up again, the traditional summer, summer spike may be more pronounced than it usually would be. He sounds like a punch-drunk boxer, and it's pathetic. <laughs> President Biden correctly highlights the top issue in America, crime, but his way of addressing the problem is the problem. He awkwardly, clumsily announces the problem is the gun, not the shooter. The gun seller is the issue, uh, not actually the gun as well, disempowering law enforcement. And bail reform has everything to do with it. Now he wants cops to bail him out. Forget about it. Uh, Susan Lee is here. Hey, Susan. Hey, yeah, Brian. So what, what was the term you just used? Punch drunk? I mean, I've never, <laughs> I, I, as, as, as bumbling as the president can be at times, he's 78 years old. I yeah. get it. But I'm looking at Bernie Sanders. I don't see that. Whatever you think of Bernie Sanders, and obviously if you're a capitalist, you can't be uh, a follower of Bernie Sanders. He's on his game. Right. I'm, this well, guy's not on his game. Yeah. And yesterday, if he had a staffer, Susan, that was worth his salt, 
He should have said, Miss President, we got, a, we got somebody else to announce this. Susan Rice right, is right. here. You know, she's head of domestic policy. You come out, introduce it. You talk about it. Because what I saw, I didn't think he was going to get through the speech. It was like his kryptonite, that teleprompter. Yeah. I don't know if they put a dash or a slash between words, but he just slurred him right through. Right. Did you notice that? Well, I did, but I thought the punch reference was because we were just talking about my Floyd Mayweather interview in Miami, so I thought that may have inspired some no, of the, well, uh, the choosing of the verbs. It could, but by the way, that fight was a lot closer than everyone thought, right? That's right. <laughs> did <laughs> you watch one? it? You mean the, the exhibition match uh, between the, one, the Logan Ball and yeah. Floyd Mayweather? Did you watch it? I, I did not. I would not pay 50 bucks to watch something that didn't matter. I'd no give offense. you more money. <laughs> no offense. But, you know, he's, is he a boxer anymore, though, Floyd Mayweather? Well, he's just making money at 40-something years old when he already retired the richest boxer ever. That's now, right. To his credit, I watched his uncle and I watched his dad fight, and they were great. And uh, and they weren't millionaires. I mean, that's when you were making $50,000 to fight on W on 70, wow. you know, Wild World of Sports. So he saw what they went through, and he wants to keep every dollar. I want him to be the boxer <laughs> that gets money. But He just, makes a lot of it. But the thing is, Susan, as I was telling you in the break, he never did anything for the sport. Interesting. Because he never brought the fight to anybody. He didn't have any rivalries. You have a responsibility when you get in the ring Pacquiao? to fight. Right. That yeah. was a rivalry. But that no, Pacquiao wasn't even healthy. Well, and, he was and older, the, too, when they actually true, fight. But, but what he did is he played defense. Yes. And, you know, good for him. His survival and his health are fine. But if you look at Holyfield, you look at Tyson, you look at Ali, you look at Frazier, you look at uh, any of these guys through history, Julio Cesar Chavez, the lighter weights, you, you know, I could name everybody. They had moments when you step in, you leave yourself open. But what you do is you make people want to watch you fight. I never want to watch them fight. Interesting, because, you know, he would make the argument that he's broadened out the sport and the spectators and the audience, and he brought back entertainment because for— Who was entertaining about well, it? Well, I mean, a lot, a lot of people watched. Your the, interview was great. Oh, thank you. And his, you know, stuff he's doing now with UFC fighters is not great for boxing. It's just great for— pay-per-view audience and his wallet right which is how most people watch fights these days so for him money mayweather as i called him because he made what 100 million dollars virtually for a 25 minute workout with that logan paul but did he help the sport can you say michael jordan helped the sport absolutely of course you're saying floyd mayweather who's an undefeated champion of three different weight classes never helped the sport never helped the sport interesting because you got it when you go out you have to challenge you have to you have to force the fight what he did was he was to me he bored me to death. Do you remember any fight that stood out? <laughs> well, the Pacquiao fight, I think it, because of, there was just so much hype because they haven't fought each other for all that time during the height of their career. So finally, when they got together, I, I actually watched that fight. That was interesting. It was he had a bad shoulder, so we, and we never got a rematch. And it went to points, didn't it? No one got knocked out. Right, it went to twelve rounds. Pacquiao at least. forgot to throw punches uh, because he could only <laughs> had, he only had one arm. They were afraid to cancel it. But let, let's talk about uh, let's talk about a couple of things. Uh, first off, on the on the jobs that just came in, over four hundred thousand jobs. Yeah. How much below? Jobless claims. So that was four hundred and eleven thousand. A little bit highly more more people jobless, I guess, in the week than economists have forecast. Still, though, I mean, it shows you that the economy is recovering. We're still on track. You heard seven percent GDP this year. Seven percent GDP would be the fastest since the nineteen eighties. Do you think Remember we'll that? get there? I think a lot of people in Wall Street do believe, because this is the Federal Reserve forecast of 7%, which is usually more conservative than, say, the Goldman Sachs's or the Morgan Stanley, I think most economists say that with the reopening and this pent-up demand to buy things, that we'll get there. So if we do get there, 
We are, it has a lot to do with the vaccine, wouldn't you think? Yes, we're recovering right. quicker because yeah. we're healthier. Operation Warp Speed. I think everyone should say yes, thank you to the vaccines. The fact that we do have the economy getting back to normal, people going back to work, and people are want to you know buy their dresses and their makeup, and that helps the economy when consumer spending powers two-thirds, at least three-quarters of it, actually. Two things stand out. Number one, how many jobs that are open in this country? A record nine million. Nine million jobs yeah. open in this country. So how do you change people's mindset? Do you are you somebody that subscribes <laughs> to the supplemental the supplemental is keeping people on the sidelines? Well, here's the thing. We had Jay Powell, the Federal Reserve Chairman, testifying this week, and he says he was pressed by Jim Jordan, probably the only interesting interaction in that entire Q&A session this week. But uh, Jim Jordan says, how do you know that it's not the extra benefits that are keeping people at home instead of wanting to go out and work? And we've heard this over and over again from big companies like Uber. They can't find enough drivers because people don't want to drive. They'd rather stay home and make $15 an hour off the unemployment benefits. So, you know, Jay Powell says we will see once they end this summer whether or not people get back to work in September. Do you think if for three months we'll be unnecessarily hurt? What do you think about the 21 governors or 24 governors mm-hmm. that have said, no, we're not we're not taking the money? Well, I think uh, you've, you're seeing this recovery in the economy. So people are getting back to work. I mean, they, are, they you do have these benefits ending in a lot of these states, right? And people are taking the jobs. I think it'll be interesting to see what the uh, the job openings look like in the, in the past month. Do they improve from the $9 million? What do you think? I find it's going to be fascinating to see. See, I know how med- the medical world has changed with everyone's doing these, <laughs> uh, doing this face, you know, the FaceTiming and yeah. the Zoom calls yeah. with their with their Remote work. physician when you can do it. Number two is how many people are going to say, "I just don't want to go to work." Right. Well, the hybrid model, the hybrid work model. Do you think it's going to work? Uh, well, I think that a lot of companies are preparing for it. We had this debate on the show on Fox Business about how much of the workforce do you think will stay remote, meaning work maybe two or three days from home instead. I was having this conversation with Allison as well, and she actually enjoyed working from home. I never had that opportunity. I don't know if you did, but I would say probably it would be 20% of the workforce that will engage in this hybrid type of work model. What does that mean for real estate? I think that's probably the biggest knock-on effect. Corporate real estate. Corporate real estate, residential real estate. Do you need to live in congested, big, expensive cities like New York or San Francisco if you can only commute in three days a week? That makes a commute a lot more tolerable, right? When when do you think we're going to see numbers that will indicate what the American people are doing and decide to do and what business decides to do? When do you think we'll Hmm. know? Interesting. I I think probably by the end of this year. We'll see. Because you'll hear it on the earnings calls. You'll hear the CEOs being asked over and over again about hybrid work models. Is it more remote? You know, technology companies, you heard Facebook saying six months, six months out of the year, you can work, work from virtually anywhere, right? Whereas J.P. Morgan's, more of the client-facing investment banks, they're calling most of their employees back to the office. It depends on the industry, I think, that could be more flexible with, with remote work and hybrids. But do you think these CEOs are just saying, this is the way it's always been, it will be? Or are they seeing something in the numbers, like Jamie Dimon, that say, I got to get my people back to work? <laughs> well, for him, productivity is, is different, say, than how productivity is gauged at Google, right? You know, at Google, you can just write the uh, the programs at home, whereas at J.P. Morgan, you have to press the palms and get people to sign up for the latest equity products or the stock products. So um, I think it's different. So I have, I have a theory. Do you want to hear it? Okay. Oh, I you, didn't know I can ask questions right. back. Okay, great. Yeah, yes. So, so my theory is one thing with a company, especially a company like this, yeah. you go in, you get trained, you don't make a ton of money in the beginning, and the hope is you become so valuable, so good, you right. move up the ladder and you That's stay right. here. That's right, yep. And then these people say, well, you know, I like working with my company. I like the Christmas parties. I like seeing <laughs> I feel a sense of loyalty. Commissions, yeah. Yeah, I feel a sense of loyalty. 
And you can be on the same path, but you don't have that sense of loyalty. You're not in the building. You don't interact right. with people. You don't see him getting coffee Correct. or grabbing water. You don't see him. Uh, you don't see him outside the building ever. You don't run into him after work. There's no. Uh, there's no birthdays to celebrate. Yeah. All the things where you say, well, I work there and I love it there, mm-hmm. it becomes very transactional. I work there. Right. I wonder what else is there besides that. So company culture is a big part of it. I agree. Because you've heard the CEOs as well. The James Gorman at Morgan Stanley saying you have to get people together because that's when you have those breakthrough moments at the water cooler. We've had some engaging conversations, haven't we, Kilmeade? Absolutely. At the water cooler. Right. We're not on a first-name yes. basis, yeah. but still. Right. How's right. the burger? How's the fish today? Um, right. But that is important because that's how oh, you in build our a business, I thoroughly believe we have to come in. Of course. I mean, but there's, but it's not necessarily what every TV and radio company station is doing. They're Which, like, well, you could probably do it at home. You could produce from home. I've been doing it from home. I'm used to it. But to me, it's the interaction of creativity. It's you bump into someone. Hey, would you do me a favor and hand me that? Yeah. You can't say that anymore. What about the chemistry? I mean, right. look at this. It's electric here. Right. Kill you me. can't yeah, do you this need to on build Zoom. That. <laughs> You cannot do this on Zoom. Sparks. But yes, I think company culture is going to be very important. And you've heard that from technology as well. Some of the largest companies, like Apple, got in trouble with their staff because they said you can work from home three days a week, but you have to, well, no, you have to work at home two days a week. You have to come into the office three days a week. And a lot of people were up in arms saying, well, what if we don't want to come into the office? But that's when they said you have to build a company culture. Now, the Goldman Sachs story where where the where the new hires were complaining that their <laughs> managers were too tough on them. Well, do you know what it's like to be a junior banker, Kilmean? I mean, no, it, I don't. It's probably the same, though, to be honest, in a lot of industries, including in broadcast. Sports, especially. Yeah. You're a rookie. You're sleeping underneath the desk, right? You're working 24 hours a day. You're taking orders from virtually everybody. You basically had to work your tail off for a few years, and then hopefully you're on your way to making seven-figure salaries. But I think that's kind of like, that's kind of how it works in, in a lot of different industries, right? It's a bright of passage. You have to pay your dues, prove you want to do this, and how committed you are. But what's different about this? These kids, uh, young men and women, are complaining. <laughs> are you going to use a snowflake okay. terminology? No. The younger uh, but people? Do you ever remember the people complaining at Goldman Sachs? You get that job. You treat it like royalty. You broke through. You worked oh, so hard in school. It's different you these days. It. You know, it's different. Why? these th- Because you have technology companies. Well, if you're going to treat me like this, I can get just as much money, maybe work as few hours, although I don't think so. They're probably working just as hard in Silicon Valley, but they say, well, th- there's a lot of competition out there. Somebody else will pay me six figures, and maybe I don't have to take as as much pressure or, or crap in order to get, get ahead. So there's just more options. People more haven't options, gotten softer. Right. You, know, it doesn't, you don't have to work on Wall Street to be the seven-figure millionaire anymore. Understood. So when we come back, I want to go over these polls. Okay. Is that possible? Sure. Or do you have to run to another TV nope. event? Did Stuart I'm Varney text you during yours. this? Yes. Are you sure? Yeah, they let me off for this hour. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, Susan Lee is here of FBN, and uh, so are you. I'll be back in a moment to find out what's the most important thing that worries the American people the most right now. You'll be surprised what this poll reveals. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Susan Lee's here for a little while longer from FBN. Than Lucky gonna, me. 
Uh, lucky me. <laughs> lucky uh, me. And because, you know, we have, we're not good at math on this show. So we need somebody <laughs> that could figure out where we're going. When, I, when the Fox News poll came out and had Joe Biden with 54% approval rating, I was stunned. Uh, but uh, part of other polling that I, yeah. I do feel is, is also fascinating to a degree, um, let's, uh, let's talk about what concerns the American people most. They worry most about inflation, inflation. 83%. Sex, uh, nexus taxes at 77%. Unemployment, 74%. The deficit, 69%. But inflation, we have not had to deal with this for decades. Right. So I wasn't around in the early 1980s, late 1970s. But, you know, people are making comparisons to that era when you had inflation at 13 percent. I didn't know what it was like to pay mortgage rates at 20 percent for your home. They never thought to lower them. Yeah. Yeah. So but also remember, though, after those periods of inflation in the 1980s is when you had that boom in the economy. So rising prices are a sign of a healing economy. It's, It's a good thing. However, through your pocket, though, for families. Families trying to put food on the table, that's a little hard. Uh, it's a big question, but is this just an American problem, inflation? No. Or is the Western, the democracies are having this issue? Yeah, too? it's also also all the stimulus money. Think about all the Federal Reserve and the trillions and trillions of dollars, the extra jobless benefits that you're getting each and every week. I mean, that is spending that goes recycles back into the economy. And as you know, in Economics 101, supply and demand, when there's a lot of demand and people have money in their pockets to spend, supply has to increase. Supply is not increasing that means prices go up serious hardship for families when asked 29 percent said get a grocery prices same amount said gas prices third health care costs which is always high yeah and then mortgage and rent right okay well mortgage and rent that's interesting because mortgage rates are at the lowest that we've seen Right. In forever, and they're not going to get lower, right? Probably not. They're probably going to go higher from here. But grocery prices, we've heard this over and over again. And this is goes back to supply. You're not producing as much meat as people want because of the glut and what happened during the pandemic with the lack of labor. Again, not many people want to go into work. So you had bacon prices up 16%, which actually kind of surprised me because I'm a big bacon lover. But that also hurts, obviously, the, uh, the pockets of those of the lower middle income families. And yeah, that's going to be a problem going forward. Allison, if you could call .com because we want to break news on this show and the fact that Susan Lee is Loves a bacon, bacon lover is something that Stuart Varney was unable to is my right Stuart Varney does not know that? Um we you know, you know we we share Have you a talked lot about bacon? We, we talk a lot about a lot of things each and every day. Um, but yeah, I love bacon, don't you? Love fish? Um, love sushi? I'm pro fish. Yeah. Not pro bacon. I think I've seen you glance over and going, is that real meat in the cafeteria a few times? You're like, what kind of meat is that? By the way, <laughs> I've never seen Susan in the cafeteria, so this is not true. <laughs> that is not true. Oh, I've that's right. I did see it. Yeah, that, yes. But, I, I but used, he didn't recognize me. He was like, who are you? That is not true. <laughs> no, it's because you were with Stuart Varney for three hours, but now you're going to have a little more flexibility in your schedule. Yes. I look so I, we will see you more? Hopefully. I Absolutely. hope so. I and get to in, learn from you. And by the way, this is the reason to get Fox Nation. You would have seen Susan Lee in studio, which has not happened in a year and a half. Susan, thanks so much for coming in. And we'll watch you all over the channel. When we come back, we're going to be joined by General Jack Keane, the reality on the ground in Afghanistan. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I will say that um, while in general we are seeing um, elevated attacks um, on uh, DSF and Afghan government versus a year ago, um, 
we have not seen an increase in attacks on our military or presence since February 2020. Uh, and we also assess um, that had we not begun to draw down, violence would have increased against us as well after May 1st, because that was what the Taliban was clearly conveying. Um, so the status quo, in our view, was not an option. So what's happening in Afghanistan in many ways is unfolding like the disaster, worse than I even thought it would be at a rate in which I didn't think was possible. But as we leave Afghanistan before 9-11, not on 9-11, and get our 2,500 troops out, reports are that the Afghan government uh, is here at a last desperate effort to basically tell Joe Biden, if you do not support us, we're just we're vapor. You might as well just get anybody out, out you want. Uh, that that you helped out, whether it's the eleven thousand interpreters or other people, uh, because this is the Taliban's going to be in control, which means we're not going to even staff our embassy. General Jack Keane joins us now, retired four-star general, all over this situation uh, over the past twenty years. Uh, general, are you at all? Are you as pessimistic as I am? Um, I'm very concerned. The situation is grave and it's and it's worsening. Um, I mean it. it the collapse of the government or the Afghan military or of Kabul is not imminent, though. Uh, yes, the Taliban have taken some outlying districts in rural areas, um, but they have not taken any provincial capitals uh, whatsoever or any major major cities. And certainly Kabul uh, is not threatened. But yes, it is a worsening situation, and it's being driven by a couple of things. First of all, is because we made a deal, one of the worst deals in history, uh, with with the Taliban, uh, negotiated by the Trump administration, um, and that deal was that we would not attack uh, the Taliban and they would not attack us uh, during all of this negotiating process for over a year. Well, the, there really is not any negotiations taking place right now, and we certainly are not using our air power to help the Afghan security forces, as we had been doing for almost the entire 20 years, and it's been very decisive. So the gains that they're making have much to do with the lack of air support to support our ground forces, which are the Afghan security forces. That's number one. Uh, Number two is I've spoken to Ashraf Ghani, the president of Afghanistan, and I will see him tonight. And I know he's very concerned, and one of the things he would like to see is is receive from the administration out of Afghanistan air support by the U.S. And I think if there's ways to do that, uh, particularly with uh, bombers that have uh, precision-guided munitions and minimize uh, civilian casualties, and we know how to do that. That's one. Number two is they're pulling all of his contractors away to support his air force. And we forced on him Blackhawks. He wanted more Russian helicopters because they're not as complicated. And we pushed him to take the Blackhawks and other fixed-wing U.S. aircraft. Now those contractors, they're largely U.S., but not exclusively, are being pulled out. And he's left with nothing to take care of these more sophisticated aircraft. And, and, and I can tell you I heard the despair in his voice uh, when he was talking to me about this. And certainly that's got to be high on the list. He's also won some ISR drones to be able to see the enemy so he could fix them, uh, you know, from the air. And, and of all things, some night vision goggles for his ground troops. I mean, this is 
this is not, there's nothing outrageous about this. This is just, if we're pulling all of our troops out and we're pulling all of our air power out, something, you know, I don't agree with and most observers who know Afghanistan don't really agree with. But why would we not at least leave him with some of the enablers to be able to sustain the fight against the Taliban? That that makes no sense to also cut his knees off like that. So, yes, uh, this is a critical meeting between uh, President Ghani and, and President Biden. And hope, hopefully this administration steps up to do that and also get the interpreters uh, and translators out, out of Afghanistan as well on a timely basis. So, General, this is going to be a substantive conversation request when Ghani uh, meets with the Biden administration tomorrow. So when he does this, it, nothing you said is unreasonable. You're not saying I need 50,000 troops. The contractors, word is they're willing to stay. Uh, and the and the and the word is this: there's there's a sense it's in America's best interest not to lose that government as an ally. Be selfish about it. Do you actually want to see Saigon too within two years of us sneaking out the top of an embassy in Afghanistan this time? Yeah, I mean, and that certainly is possible, and certainly could be on the horizon. The key thing about an embassy staying open in Kabul is the airport. If there's any. It's, if the Taliban got to the point where they're encroaching on the airport and we were not able to make an emergency evacuation, then our embassy will close. The Australian embassy has already closed, uh, given the fact that they they believe uh, this is a hopeless situation and they're not going to continue. Uh, we're not at that point yet. The Afghan government isn't. But Ghani has got some work to do himself in terms of holding his government together. If he holds the government together, the security forces will hold together. The other thing is I do believe the administration is still pushing Ghani to move to an interim government. And this is this makes no sense whatsoever. We have had four elections in a constitutional democracy uh, in Kabul, a, a, a form of government that we insisted on them having and which they embraced themselves. And and now we're, we're willing to push them away from that constitution, from that democracy, to form an interim government uh, with others uh, in the area and with the Taliban. That makes no sense to me whatsoever. And I think it's outrageous that even suggests such a thing. Who is the person in the administration that's going to be the hardest to sell on doing some of these things? Uh, President Biden. Uh, I mean, after all, I, I think Biden was fed up with Afghanistan. He made an impulsive decision. It surprised even his national security team around him when he said, OK, we're just going to get out, put a plan together to get out. And that surprised. He was told that the NATO meetings, I know from my NATO sources, that um, that when he made that decision, the Europeans who were in Afghanistan, the NATO Europeans who were there, wanted to stay. They they also agree uh, with the United States military that the Taliban take over. That's the Al Qaeda. Don't don't even think that they're different. They're brothers. They're going to support each other, and we will have a bona fide Al Qaeda and ISIS sanctuary in Afghanistan in short order if if there's a collapse. Certainly, or if the government collapses and the ANSF breaks up into militia groups and there's a civil war going on, the same thing will happen because of that chaos. Much as ISIS was able to form in eastern Syria because of the civil war that's taking place in Syria, it is a fractured country, and it gives rise, because it's ungoverned spaces, to organizations like al-Qaeda and ISIS. And, and, and we all look at it and say, why would we take that risk 
to the American people when we can prevent it, at least it's arguable it's preventable, by 2,500 U.S. troops and about 7,000 other NATO European troops. That is a very modest commitment, and the, and very, very, very light casualties would be involved in, in something like that. So it's frustrating for you? Oh, immensely, after after 20 years. And, and I've seen up close, I can't tell you how many times I've been to Afghanistan, uh, you know, the progress that they've made with their democracies, with their school system. The, the population of Afghanistan has doubled in the 20 years. It was 20-something million, it's over 40 million. And they've gone from a relatively uneducated country to a more educated uh, country. They've made huge progress. Do they have problems? Of course they got problems. They've got tons of problems. But there's huge progress there. And the people, people overwhelmingly, Brian, reject the Taliban. They, they know they're fanatics. They're bar, barbarians. They, they lived under their rule. They've seen others in the country live under the rule in the districts they control. They want no part of these guys. It is the most unpopular insur- insurgency in history. Right. Usually, usually insurgents, they, they got a claim against the government and the people are backing them because they're willing to have armed intervention to change the government. That's not the case here at all. I understand some of these you know, militias, according to the Wall Street Journal today, are splitting off, realizing the Afghan government is not winning the fight. They're starting to take on the Taliban themselves. Yeah, that's up in the north primarily. And a little in the central area. And, and that is what can lead to a civil war and eventual fracturing of the security forces, because some of those militias leaders will pull back from the security forces, the men that they have in the Afghan security forces. They'll they'll call them home and that will begin to undermine. Now, that's there. Some of this is forming, but yet has not fractured the security forces yet. And the government is still holding together, although there's there's political issues inside the government. Uh, and, you know, remember, Afghanistan is a tribal country. And a, a lot of those uh, tribal orientations and loyalty manifest themselves when you're trying to bring together a unity government. It, it's always been one of the one of the challenges of a central government. Uh, in a, in Afghanistan. So a lot of people say who aren't read in like you are, don't know the region well, say, what's the big deal? We'll just go, we'll base our CIA and paramilitary from Pakistan. Well, that's not going to happen. Listen to Jonathan Swan's interview with the Prime Minister of Pakistan, Cut 50. Will you allow the American government to have CIA here in Pakistan uh, to conduct cross-border counterterrorism missions against al-Qaeda, ISIS, or the Taliban? Absolutely not. There's no way we're going to allow any bases, uh, any sort of action from Pakistani territory uh, into Afghanistan. Absolutely not. So there that goes. Well, we shouldn't even be surprised by that. I mean, the Pakistanis have provided bases for the the Afghan Taliban in Pakistan as a safe haven and a refuge. Not only that. Their intelligence organization passed on intelligence to them about U.S. and Afghan operations on a regular basis. The Pakistan has been in bed with the Taliban for the entire 20 years, and we call them an ally. But don't we have a presence there? Uh, not no in, in Pakistan, not to speak of. We have we have some presence because we have to move all of our convoys and logistics from the port through Pakistan uh, and then across the border in, into uh, Afghanistan. But we don't have any military bases. We have an embassy there 
we, you know, and what's revealed certainly publicly now is we have had a CIA base bases in in Afghanistan from where we conduct uh, attacks against Al Qaeda in Pakistan, and it's from there certainly that we conducted the attack against Osama bin Laden uh, in in Pakistan as well, and that is one of the one of the other reasons why we didn't want to leave because if you pull the military out, out comes the CIA operation that we've been running for years against the Al-Qaeda and, and trying to keep them uh, down and not able to reemerge, and that will go away. And we're and because this decision, Brian, came on so suddenly by the president, was so unexpected, the, the suddenness of it, I mean, we were, we were not even able to coordinate before the decision the use of bases outside of Afghanistan so we could train Afghans at those bases and also maybe conduct some operations inside Afghanistan from from those bases. We're in the process of trying to do that. We want to, we want to get cooperations from the Russians, of all people, and maybe Tajikistan or Uzbekistan, uh, where we can do that. We used to have a base in Uzbekistan when we first went into uh, Afghanistan, from which we attacked, did the first uh, attacks into uh, Afghanistan with our special forces. But you know, we closed right. that base many many years ago. So we closed. We're going to lose some influence right between Russia and China. We're going to lose that 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 sphere of influence. And if just in case you think that China isn't not uh, nipping at our heels. Listen to this prime minister when asked about Muslim rights of the Uyghurs in China. They, he is so uh, in bed with China, he could not even answer. Cut 53. This is a grotesquely large human rights atrocity. I would... First of all, I'm not sure about that because our conversations, our conversations with the Chinese, this is not the picture I'm sure they that comes that. from that side. So just to put a fine point on this, you are not in any way concerned about the Muslim Uyghurs in Xinjiang? Our discussions with Chinese will always be behind closed doors. We won't even admit. I mean, if we have a Bible the wrong way, they want to burn down a building or or kill an American. And there they they have millions in a concentration camp being sterilized and tortured, and they suddenly don't care they're the same religion? Yeah, I mean, uh, the factual evidence is, is overwhelming in terms of the concentration forced labor camps uh, and— Anecdotal evidence uh, has been pretty significant in terms of what is actually happening, not just forced labor, uh, but in a sense, a form of ethnic cleansing by, uh, excuse me, by forced uh, forced abortions and sterilization, you know, of, of the Uyghurs. This Chinese Communist Party sees the Uyghurs and other Muslim groups as a potential threat to their regime. And that is why they're imprisoning them, and that is why they're, they're willing to cut off the future of this organization. And, you know, it's out of those, those forced labor camps that products are being sold all over the world. That is another thing that the United States has got to take a close look at and make certain that we're, we're not purchasing any of those pro- products from a forced labor camp. But to deny that that exists... Uh, yeah, that's that's a, an incredible lie. What does it show you about these extremists? All about their religion, right? Until, of course, it's money, and uh, if you build them bridges and roads at a good rate, uh, they'll they'll say anything and they'll turn in their own and they'll turn the other way. Joan Jackine, good luck in your meeting tonight, and hopefully, uh, people in in the Biden administration will sober up before it's too late. Yeah, thanks a lot, Brian. All right, talk thanks. to you on Have TV tomorrow. Too. You too. Right. Back in a moment.
Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everyone. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, I think it's time to find out if uh, we need to know more. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. Britney Spears pleaded with the Los Angeles judge to free her from her family, her conservative ship. She uh, paints an ugly picture. She's made $60 million for the last 13 years. I thought actually she made more, uh, but brought concerns about her mental health. Because of that, they put her on lithium. They only let her have 8% of her earnings or a smaller part of her earnings. So I let her get married, made her all go on birth control. Do you believe all that? No, I believe all of that for sure. Um, I think it's, I mean, the conservatorship is extreme. Um, at the same time, I would hope if they do lift it, they do put some sort of constraints on her to suddenly get that much money without ever having the power to deal with it. You would, you know, hope that she then is able to handle it responsibly. Next, Jerry Seinfeld is finally going to get the break he needs. He's going to be a star in a Netflix movie about the creation of Pop-Tarts. I saw the Times feature, the little uh, video he did with the New York Times. It's hysterical. It's, uh, it tastes the same. He says it tastes the same as the box. Got a great little routine on it. But can you believe he says it's about nothing and that's what people expect from me. So, so you will be one of the people to watch it on Netflix. Absolutely. He loves this guy, Spike Ferenstein. He g- gave him his own show. It didn't really work out. But that's going to be one of his writers. Another guy, Barry Martyr, who I don't know. Uh, he's also going to be one of his writers. I'm sure it'll be a big success. I think so. He said it was uh, after the pandemic. It was time to do something based purely on silliness. Right. Uh, by the way, Sunday, not silly. What Makes America Great? We're doing a special on the channel at 10 o'clock Sunday. And, and then it's going to drop on Fox Nation the next day. Four new episodes. We're up to uh, close to 30. You're going to love them. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the latest minutes of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from New York, which is getting repopulated along with the criminals. They have many more targets. And the bottom of the air, we're going to be joined by Dana Perino. And we have a lot to discuss today. We've got to talk about President Biden and his approach to fighting crime. It's a joke. Uh, what they're doing at the border is horrendous. Uh, it looks like the vice president's going to go to El Paso for 45 minutes, maybe an hour and a half tops, and come back and call that a visit to the border. Uh, That's lip service to be kind. And now some more revelations about the origins of the COVID-19 virus. I notice, and you look at the Fox News poll, uh, 60% of the American public thinks this came from the Wuhan lab. And this will do nothing but build up those numbers as we bring in uh, Congressman Mike Gallagher. Uh, He's on the Armed Services Committee, Transportation Infrastructure, and a Marine veteran. Congressman, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Good to be back. So, Congressman, I was struck by your – it's always interesting talking to you with your background, uh, of course, as now representing Wisconsin. But you found out something with one of our favorite guests is Josh Rogan. He wrote a great book uh, giving us inside China and what they're really up to in our country. But you brought up something very interesting I was not aware of. The Wuhan 
in Wuhan were the military games in October of 2019. What's significant about that? Well, it's significant because this predates the uh, timeline for the outbreak of the virus that the Chinese Communist Party initially gave by two months. And what we've learned in recent months, due to some declassified information from the Trump administration and now some Wall Street Journal reporting and the tireless work of Josh Rogan, who at this point deserves the Pulitzer, but he won't get it because his book isn't about critical race theory or something like that, um, is, is that this may have started two months prior, which further, in my mind, bolsters the idea that the regime in China was covering this up and because this most likely came from a lab in Wuhan, China. It also begs the question as to if they knew it was circulating in October, but they held the military games anyway, they were intentionally letting it spread to the 109 countries that were participating in the games without any warning. So the athletes, uh, all 9,000 of them, should have been tested for antibodies a long time ago. Uh, but it's not too late to check their medical records. It's not too late to to check the 284 Americans that participated in this to see what we can learn. Getting a precise timeline for the outbreak is a critical part of understanding how this started, which is the best chance we have of preventing another pandemic like this from happening in the future. But Congressman, why are you finding this out? Why is Josh Rogan doing it? The military knows about this. Have they told the CIA and F- the CIA in particular and FBI? I mean, why do you have to break, uh, unearth this? You know, it's really interesting, Brian. What's happened here, what I think has happened here, is that there are many in our national security establishment and in our intelligence community in particular who are simply co-opted or misled by all of these scientific experts, and you can put experts in quotation, that were telling us for the past year that this had a natural origin, that the lab leak theory was a complete conspiracy theory, it was a tinfoil hat thing, But we now know that these scientists, people like Dr. Peter Daszak, have profound conflicts of interest. But I always go back to an unclassified DNI intelligence community statement from April of 2020, so a few months into this pandemic, where they said the the intelligence community strongly agrees with the scientific consensus that this was not man-made or genetically modified. What the heck happened with that? I mean, did they just just parrot the talking points of, of Peter Daszak and some of these other people that have been thoroughly corrupted by the Chinese Communist Party? What we have here is an intelligence failure, perhaps the biggest one since 9-11, a public health failure and a geopolitical failure uh, in the sense that we put far too much trust and faith in the integrity of the Chinese Communist Party, which, you know, if you know anything about the CCP, uh, that is the last thing you should do. But, you know, we were not helped by Anthony Fauci, we, who is the face of this entire pandemic. I'm not even talking about masks. I'm talking about origin. If he came out and, as yep. I said to you, and just said, hey, guys, I, I wish I knew more about this virus. But unfortunately, we're not getting the true story from our friends over in China. And therefore, we can't design a test uh, that's going to be effective. So as soon as we can unearth this and disseminate this, we'll be able to fight this. But I love, I'd urge the, the, the government of China to come clean on this and their scientific community to show that they have a conscience. Then the world would have been mobilized. And President Trump would be like, yeah, I'll put some pressure on. But instead, we got this under control. This is man-made. This just happens. Don't point fingers. Uh, we got to be in this together. And where did that get us? 600,000 dead. That's where it got us. A hundred percent. Fauci in mid-January of 2020, if you remember, went out there and said, 
the CCP has effectively the CCP has us under control. We shouldn't be worried about human to human transmission. Well, what happened a week later? We had our first case of human to human transmission in the United States in Chicago. Uh, and, and, and we had CDC, we offered Redfield, our CDC director, offered to send our people to Wuhan to investigate this thing in December. And of course, the party rejected our help, and they've been corrupting the subsequent WHO investigation. So Fauci himself has a clear conflict of interest. He has been the godfather of gain of function research. He's funneled millions of dollars through his organization, NIAID, to the Eco Health Alliance run by DASIC. In 2011, he was writing op-eds arguing for gain-of-function research. He is biased. He brings a clear bias to this debate, and he is not being forthcoming even when questioned in front of Congress, and that's simply unacceptable. So you have to run right now. What, uh, you did write a letter, though, to the, to the Pentagon. Is this type of letter you're going to get a response from? I hope so. Uh, you know, we're also submitting some questions for the record for uh, Secretary Austin and Millie. And listen, my hope is you know, all of us should be united, Democrats, Republicans, independents, on understanding how the heck this thing happened, because this has been one of the most damaging events in terms of lives lost. I mean, you'd have to go back, I don't know, I mean, to World War II to think of something that even comes close. So all of us should be united in getting to the bottom of this, not as a matter of settling political scores, as a matter of, of fixing the failures in our government and making sure that we never have to deal with a destructive pandemic like this going forward. So I'm not going to let up. I'm going to continue pressing the Pentagon for answers, and I'm going to continue to do everything I can as a member of Congress to hold the Chinese Communist Party accountable for what is a Chernobyl-like cover-up of a disaster. The more evidence we see, the more the evidence points towards the lab leak and the dishonesty and the perfidy of the Chinese Communist Party. 20 seconds. Did the Bidens have did the Biden administration, have they been aggressive enough on this? No, absolutely not. I mean, you know, they've, 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 they've put too much faith in the WHO, which has been corrupted by the CCP. They've announced this intelligence community review in 90 days. They need to be declassifying all the intel immediately. They need to be implementing sanctions against the Chinese Academy of Sciences. There's far more we can do. They're not attacking this with a sense of urgency. Go get them. Congressman Mike Gallagher, I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. All right. one uh, I can't even give the phone number out because our phones are down. My bad. Um, Listen, uh, there's so much going on here, too. In fact, I just got sent this story uh, from on, on the same, in terms of not being uh, candid and honest. Uh, Anthony Fauci resisted this, according to uh, FoxNews.com. Anthony Fauci resisted President Trump's directive to cancel the virus research grant linked to the Wuhan lab. And until Trump really insisted on it, that's when he stopped it. This guy, he may come off collegial, but he is a bad guy. I'm convinced of it. And I say that, and I could also like science. He says, if you insult him, you're going against science. I don't buy it. I'll, uh, be, I'll be able to get back to you and expand on the other two major stories of the day, and then we'll open it all up with Dana Prino. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show of the people for the people. You're with Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. What we think is driving this to a substantial extent, given the correlation between the pandemic and the spike uh, in, in violent crime uh, and gun crime uh, is that, you know, the, the, the stress, the loss of uh, jobs, 
um, the uh, the various factors of you know not being able to have our court systems and, and our police function as normally has nothing to do with the rising crime. It's because everyone's been let out of prison. No one's been prosecuted for crime. You didn't push anybody who looted and rioted. Thousands got away without any charges in New York City specifically. Then you have a situation where you blame the cops. You want to reimagine and, uh, and defund the police. And at the top of uh, uh, all that, this sense of racial inequity because of the George Floyd situation. And you have an administration that came in is anti-law and order, right? We're doing police reform. We want to take away qualified immunity. Now you realize crime is rampant in every major city in this country, staggering numbers, and you want to blame the gun. The gun is the problem. Now, I cannot emphasize enough how disturbing it was watching the president yesterday. And if he had an aide worth a dollar, they would have said, Mr. President, you're not having a good day. Don't go out there or go out, say hello, and let somebody else handle the expertise part of it, like as if it's the coronavirus uh, update or news, or, or news session. Here's a little of what they're proposing, cut one. Crime is historically rises during the summer. And as we emerge from this pandemic, traditional summer, summer spike may even be more pronounced than it usually would be. And there are things we know that work that reduce gun violence and violent crime. Background checks for purchasing a firearm are important. Ban on assault weapons and high-capacity magazines. No one needs to have a weapon that can fire over 30, 40, 50, even up to 100 rounds. Unless you think the deer are wearing Kevlar vests or something. The Second Amendment from the day it was passed limited the type of people who could own a gun and what type of weapon you could own. And if you wanted to think you need to have weapons to take on the government, you need F-15s and maybe some nuclear weapons. The point is that there's always been the ability to limit, rationally limit the type of weapon that can be owned and who can own it. Okay, not many people are saying, well, the shootings in Chicago that killed 50 is because the gun was powerful, or the rampant crime that's running in New York City is because the gun is too, has can shoot too many bullets at one time. It's not, well, instead of wounding people, they're getting killed. No, they're being shot at. That's the issue. They're being, uh, they're being harassed. They're being assaulted. They're being, uh, their homes are being ransacked. When cops show up, they're twerking on their cars. Uh, they're lighting them on fire and nothing was done. You vilified the cops and now you want the cops to bail you out. They're going to say, forget it. People have turned in their beds. They don't want to do the job and they don't want to bail out your administration, even though you, they are the only answer. Because just to show you how foolhardy his approach is. Crime surging in major cities. Hate crimes up 116%, pickpockets up 117%, carjackings up 104%. No gun, no gun, no gun. Rape, more than likely no gun, 97%. Auto theft, 23%. Arson, 20%. That's just a little on the gun, on the crime surge. That's it. And then he's out there saying that we have to quickly uh, turn around this situation when it comes to crime. And you know why? It's not because they want to do this. It's not because they want to rein in the crime. Whether you like it or not, that's what Trump's doing. He wants to stop the border because that was his agenda, and he thinks it's bad for national security. He's, they're seeing internal numbers that show that when the crime goes up, the fund the police is uh, uttered, Democrat fortunes go down. 
and they are in a tough situation because they feel as though they got elected because they were taking on law enforcement and they believe police reform had momentum behind it. But you can't do both. You can't say take some money, build up your armed forces, crack down on crime, and at the same time say they're uh, indem- they're systematically racist. The organization's the worst. They've never pulled off that era when they were trying to track down slaves. I've heard that. We have to reimagine them, uh, police entirely. And what you have is a whole bunch of people are uh, resigning. But Joe Biden wants to go after the gun. Not the same guy in 1994 when he led the crime bill, which focused on getting criminals off the streets. This is Joe Biden when he had energy. Cut 10. Every time Richard Nixon, when I was running in 1972, would say law and order, the Democratic mantra, the response was law and order with justice, whatever that meant. And I'd say lock the SOBs up. You believe that? Is that the same guy? Now, you could say I evolved. But and I'll say it, nothing to do with ageism. He's 78 years old, but he is. This was a bad day yesterday. Bernie Sanders is older, and nobody thinks Bernie Sanders has lost his fastball. Now look at Senator Grassley. The guy's older than Joe Biden. Look how good he is. How 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 uh, lucid he is. Joe Biden was having a terrible day. Now what's the problem with that? Marco Rubio knows. Cut 11. Guns are the instrumentality that's being used, but the real target should be the criminals. It's the criminals who are stealing guns, and then they're selling them in the street to one another, and then they're committing these acts of violence. I mean, what we have seen all over the country just in the last few months are really are things out of a Hollywood movie, except it's real and it's tragic. And I think it is the inevitable consequence of when you take crazy, nonsensical ideas and then get elected on them and then try to implement them into policy or at least, you know, create the perception that you're going to create policy based on them. And the result is this and the migratory crisis on the border and other things. The ideas these people have are nuts. And when you try to even when you elect people that have these ideas, it almost encourages and incentivizes these these terrible outcomes. Kamala Harris, when she ran for president, was basically saying, let everybody in the border and uh, let's start giving uh, let's start cutting back on police. Remember, they cut a billion dollars out of New York. They cut millions out of the L.A. budget. She was all for it. She was bailing out, bailing out those people who were looting and destroying our streets. Black Lives Matter affiliates and Antifa uh, members. Senator John Kennedy weighed in. Cut 16. Crime is up because many, not all, but many members of the president's own party believe in defunding the police. They ran on it. And in many cities, they've done it. Crime is up because many members of the president's own party want to turn cops into social workers. Crime is up because many members of the president's own party think all cops are racist, including apparently the African-American police officers. Crime is up because many members of the president's own party think that when a cop shoots a criminal, it's always the cop's fault. But when a criminal shoots a cop, it's always the gun's fault. It's uh, so true. And he went on. And it's just so asinine. Please don't tell me you bought into that press conference. Uh, Victor Davis Hanson watched it from the West Coast. He steps over homeless every day out in San Francisco uh, with the Hoover Institute. Uh, Cut 18. Who do you blame? We know that most of the crime is committed with handguns, so you blame somebody with an AR-15. And you have to do that because you cannot address the real causes. People think criminals are stupid. They're not. They make a cost-benefit analysis before they commit a theft, a shooting, a murder, a rape. There will be no repercussions or punishments, so then they commit the crime. Yeah. 
So uh, he's 100% right. Uh, lastly, he went on, cut 19. So we have to speak out and we have to be honest. But if you're afraid you're going to be called a racist or you're going to be called a right-wing nut or Bull Connor, then nobody's going to speak. And so it's going to take some brave people on the left to say, wait a minute, we're killing people in our own cities because of our ideological zealotry. And I don't, I don't see that courage coming from Joe Biden or Kamala Harris or Merrick Garland. Yeah, or the attorney general, absolutely. So if you have to address crime and you want to stay within your party realm, you have to bring up guns. You can't say uh, the problem is uh, the problem with families when it comes to the inner city. The problem is with the, uh, the decaying schools in the area, leaving up generations of those who feel like life is hopeless and pointless. What about gangs? Did he even bring up gangs? That's what's going on in Chicago in particular. This is gang violence. They're shooting each other. And a lot of times now it's spread out so far and wide. We're getting caught in the crossfire. When we come back, Dana Perino will be with us. I'm going to bring her to the big news that Kamala Harris will be going to the border. Where she's going, when she's going, will be revealed when we come back. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Was it important for the White House to have her seen at the border before former President Trump has a trip there next week? Uh, We made an assessment uh, within our government about when it was an appropriate time for her to go to the border. That was uh, Jen Psaki answering the question from Peter Ducey about why are you going tomorrow, Friday, uh, Vice President Kamala Harris? Have anything to do with July 3rd's appearance uh, by the president who's going to the border because nobody else is. With me in studio is Dana Perino. She is fresh off her show. She's going to give us an exclusive look behind the scenes at her show, uh, what Bill Hemmer does say in the breaks and everything like that, <laughs> because we've heard different reports. But first on this, timing's everything. She, they didn't really deny that this is the reason they're going. But what about this trip, Dana? I'm just completely baffled and actually frustrated and mad because it's just such a bad practice of politics and communication and also of leadership and of governing because when you run for office, you should want to help fix problems. That's why you run, I assume, Mm -hmm. right? And so there's that one that you're dealt a hand, you deal with the hand, right? That's what you do. Um, That wasn't their instincts. She blew it off. And if she had gone to the border, let's say, two days after Biden had first given her the assignment, she probably would have had, like, one bad news cycle, right? Like, like one bad news cycle. But, she, but they wouldn't have had, then had 90 bad news cycles to the point that they've ignored it so much that it wasn't, uh, the, the, it wasn't Fox News that really held her feet to the fire because it was Lester Holt from NBC News. And even then they don't go. So the only logical explanation of why she's going now tomorrow is because they in the White House, they must have said, we have to go before President Trump goes and he'll be there next week with Governor Abbott. It is just such a miscarriage of how you should actually care about an issue and deal with an issue. I am disappointed because I was like, you know, I thought I thought she'd be a better vice president. I really did. And uh, maybe I shouldn't have been hopeful, but I give everyone 
a chance. And I was like, I, I was excited that oh, here we have the first woman president and she's a vice president. She's given this assignment and she takes a pass. Yeah. I mean, that's unbelievable. And you know what they when I read this and you no one reads more than you. But when they say that when she got this, they said, wow, you basically got a grenade. You don't want to be on the board. And I thought to myself, no, no. Take the hard issue. Yeah. Do you think do you might, Mike Pence and you to be in the pandemic guy? Also, you don't get a choice. Right. Yeah. So what, I, I know that th- there's rumors that Vice President Biden was always kind of mad that he got that assignment from Obama to implement the uh, relief money. I can't remember what that was called after um, the financial collapse and that he was kind of mad the about that. Money, yeah. the stimulus money. I mean, there, there was a name for it, but it, but he didn't complain. He did it because you, you have to do it. And I have to wonder about I wonder. Well, I believe that there's probably some major internal political tension between the West Wing and the vice president's office that, you know, they're very good about not uh, leaking. But I can imagine that they're thinking, wow. And then on top of that, the the other reason that they're going is because they're reacting to the polls. And it's not just a Fox News poll. It's all the polls are showing that they're being dragged down on two main issues. The border, number one, that's the biggest one that's driving their numbers down. And the other one is crime. So in the last 24 hours, you have announcements from the White House that we're going to do an a, a announcement on crime yesterday, which was one of the just, again, not meeting the moment to take on the issue of crime in America in, in terms of the root causes. This is not the root cause that they're trying to, to, that trying to address here. My final thing on the border issue is instead of just dealing with it directly – She's rubbing the spot on the wall and making everything worse by not going to the very area where there's a problem. But by choosing to go to El Paso, which is 300 miles away from the actual problem, you might as well just travel, as Ted Cruz said, to Chicago. Because yeah. it's, it's about the same amount of distance. So, Dana, tell me if, I, if I'm wrong about this. It is possible if you go to the border and you keep pushing away people to get the answers. Hey, what is the problem here? You don't necessarily, okay, maybe the first person that meets you is told to go meet you. You keep walking through the Border Patrol agency. You could find the people that are actually in charge. You go out today, what was it like out there? What is the main thing you need? Is there a barrier? Are you guys need some eyes on this? Could drones help? Then all of a sudden you have a contact. And then all of a sudden, I want these things handled. You have a handler with you. you go, can we, can we address these concerns here? Then you have somebody to lean on. To make a call to see, are things getting better? Do you still have as, as many unaccompanied minors there? Are those camps entering out? Were you able to get a response? You create relationships. You could make it ceremonial if you just want to show up, or you could actually make it substantive. You can do that. You can, well, if you think about, um, let's, let's think of maybe a natural disaster, right? Uh, a big tornado, big hurricane. Um, and the president of the United States, whoever it is, heads down, or the governor, uh, goes to the area. And just as exactly as you're saying, you're walking along, you're asking fire and rescue, you're asking uh, business owners, what is it you need? What is it you need? And you turn to your aide and you say, let's make sure we do that. I want this handled by tomorrow. Make sure that you, okay, this and that. So, and then, Brian, for example, yesterday when uh, President Biden's giving his announcement about gun crime, he says there's a lot of extra COVID relief money out there. So we're saying that you could use that to help fund the police. What? So then are you serious? First of all, did we not need that much stimulus in the first place? But second, we've been telling you, we've been trying to tell you that the defund the police movement is a problem. And not just me. Think of Abigail Spanberger, the congresswoman from Virginia, who the day after the election last fall said, we almost lost the majority to the Democrats because of this very issue of defund the police. 
Absolutely. I mean, I'm a little fired up today. I'm like so mad. My voice gets a little higher. But, you know, they would, <laughs> but no, no, I hear you. Uh, but just to finish up on the border for a second, I want people to hear uh, how disappointed people are and angry they are that they're not addressing the thing at the border. And here's why. Because we all know people who work the Border Patrol. So while people debate back and forth and, you know, he was, you won an election, you lost an election, you're up in the polls. Every day they have to go up and do a job they're not supposed to be doing. They're supposed to be behind a desk or in a facility. They have to go out there in their pickup trucks and pick up 170,000 people a month, some of which are unaccompanied minors. Then you find out that they could be getting rid of Title 42 yes. that turned around 650,000 people they claim because of it, because of the health reasons. Now, because it's a Trumpier thing and they don't want to go to court and fight it, in one week they could now not no, no longer have an excuse to turn these people around. Then they told the people that were detained from the, from the Remain in Mexico people, they told them, we're going to rehear your cases. And there's 1.2 million cases already in the pipeline so these people basically get to live in America until those cases are heard. How long do you think that backlog takes to figure out? I don't even know if they're going to try to empty it. I, I don't know if they're going to do it. I mean, there was a talk about getting judges down there. I don't think anyone's hearing anything. Uh, this is what uh, John Cornyn said yesterday from the House floor. Hardly somebody just to, uh, to act emotionally. Cut 28. Rio Grande Valley sector is the epicenter of this human crisis. Yet here she is planning a trip in a way that reflects, again, she doesn't really fully comprehend the magnitude of the crisis and where it where it's really exists on steroids, which is the Rio Grande Valley. She's nearly 100 days late and 1,000 miles short. So it's, it's going to be a 90-day visit. So I, I ask you, it's not even a good PR move to do this. So you're not even solving a problem. You're actually creating more angst spot on the wall and you think about henry cuellar he's the democratic congressman from the area that's having that's being affected he was just on newsroom and we asked him what he thought about her visit to that sector in el paso and he said it's politically safe and that's why they're going there this is a democrat who's trying to warn them like you guys you one not, not, he's trying to warn them politically yes but also number two he's just looking at all of his constituents who are flailing around asking for help and this issue about title 42 and allowing all the people to come in even if they have covid whatever yeah. um one that's you they don't nobody was clamoring for that issue to be taken off the table the cdc right they, they're not saying oh yeah we should really allow all these unvaccinated people to come in the country that's right. not happening so they're taking a tool that they had off the table and just making their problems so much worse. I, I will bring up something else that's going to even get you even angrier. If you're not fired <laughs> I'm up in now. a mood today. So do you know uh, there's about three – there's a move on the Democratic House members to offer free vaccinations to people who are crossing illegally. If you want a magnet – to get tens of thousands of people more, come to America illegally and get a vaccine as opposed to stay in Mexico and not get one. Well, We're going to get people from Japan coming in. Right, or India. Yeah. Or any place where you would, where they're having a lot of problems. Um, like I, I'm for vaccines being able to get out to some of these countries indeed. But remember when she was in Guatemala and she said, do not come. Well, if you're doing free vaccine and you get to stay and the backlog is 1.2 million and we're not going to and we're going to reunite families and we're going to make sure that if you have a child with you, you get to stay until you have a court right. hearing, then the root cause to me is not in Guatemala. It's at the White House. Dana Perino's here. And Dana, I also thought you guys covered this might have been yesterday 
about the psychological trauma of these kids who are staying now not in tent cities, but now in military bases, and there's no end in sight, especially the teenagers are starting to show unbelievable signs of anxiety because they don't know where they're going. It might be better to be in America. They just they have no experience of the pluses of being in America. So not only they came here with strangers, they were dropped off at the border, they've moved to facilities, and Jen Psaki bragging how they're not staying in these facilities too long. They're staying in military bases now too long. We have nowhere to put them. No one, they want this to go away. My hope is that if there's any justice in this world, they're going to be forced to address this problem. And it doesn't seem like the rest of the media is forcing them to the way they should to address this problem. Not necessarily. But you know what? Uh, The other thing that a visit does is it forces everybody to talk about the issue. Right. So that's one of the reasons that if you are Henry Quay, are you're asking the vice president or the, or the president to come to the border, see what I'm seeing. Rio Grande Valley, where he is. Yes. Because you want them to see it so that they will hopefully help your people. That's the whole purpose of like really wanting to have a visit. Um, when she goes to the border tomorrow, there will be a lot of coverage about it. It's, it's unavoidable. Do you have any sense of what type of blowback Quayar is getting? Um, if it is, if he is getting blowback from the um, from Democrats. other Democrats, he's it's not. Be, it's not affecting him. So he might be getting a lot, um, but he don't care. And the other thing politically, for those people who said Texas is about to go uh, blue, blue. <laughs> and this has really delayed it maybe forever because we see that Republican governor get elected right there uh, for the first time in, in decades. In McCallum. In, in McCallum. Yep. And I also think the uh, when you saw so many Hispanic uh, Hispanic uh, uh, districts turned towards Trump in the last election. This is not going to this is, this policy is not going to have the Hispanic community embrace uh, this administration. And I do think it's very much coupled with the crime issue in people's minds. It, it's not that they necessarily think that illegal immigrants are causing all the gun violence. No, but the whole feeling of a destabilization or not feeling secure, feeling like your families are not going to be safe, and that nobody's doing anything about it. That will ha- that can have a permanent effect on how people think about um, an administration. All right, we're going to come back and see if I can calm Dana down in the break. <laughs> this is a, we weren't going to take this break, but she is so upset. I feel like we have to. For the I audience. have one other issue I'm really mad about. We can talk about. All right, later. we'll talk about that when we come back. Uh, by the way, get ready to host uh, to watch Dana on the five in about five hours. Yes, back in a moment. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back. Dana Perino's here. She's getting set to host The Five. And Dana, just in case you don't know it, I want you to hear it from me. Uh, Four more episodes of What Made America Great uh, is coming up. Uh, We have a special on Sunday at 10 o'clock on the news channel. Uh, Just like a brief highlight of all four segments. And then it drops on Fox Nation, which is uh, is streaming us right now uh, on Monday. Wait, so what, what's, what are the four? Okay, uh, Little Havana, the most successful cool. immigrant story since the Pilgrims. Love it. We look at Montauk, Long Island. It links, it has a, back in our history from Washington to Teddy Roosevelt, already up through World War II, how they thought they were going to be invaded. And remember, Germans did land in the Hamptons and try to cross through. Uh, then we have uh, a look at Greenbrier. Do you know what that is? In West Virginia? Yeah. I love that place. So this elite... Golf club, Sam Sneed was the pro, Lou Gehrig used Condi to golf Rice there. loves to golf there. Right, of course, it's got to be good then. It ends up uh, uh, being earmarked, by, picked out by Dwight Eisenhower in 1953 of being the place to build Washington in case we're bombed. Yep. And they have a whole place to have the House of Representatives and the Senate to live and to be sustained. And every day it was as if they were going to take in 
500 representatives every day. So the food was there, the electricity was done, everything like that. Uh, so those are those are the three main ones. And then we went to uh, the Keys to look at Hemingway. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And you know what? I would be much more likely to watch an hour on that than six hours of the PBS special. Did you not watch it? Or you I did? watched the first hour of and the first like, episode, was... and I was like, how in the world am I supposed to invest ah. this much time? I love Hemingway. I love to read Hemingway. I love to, I love to read about Hemingway. I'm actually listening on Audible to uh, a, a book of short stories of his that I had actually not ever read, and it's, it's very well done. I think it's great. But I cannot watch six hours. Right. He was a fascinating guy, though. Yeah. I mean, but six hours in anyone. Except for maybe Gutfeld. Gutfeld's got about six <laughs> hours in. He has a lot left to do. Are you surprised he's this successful late night? Gutfeld? No, yeah. I'm not surprised at all. <laughs> right. He's beating everybody, isn't he? Um, close. That, I, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I got a lot of television I got to do every day, so I don't. I kind of focus on my own But shows. does he talk about himself a lot when he's with you? Oh, never. <laughs> <laughs> Never. All right. First up, now the last thing you're—it's important you leave here as if this was therapy. Okay. What's the other thing that's got you angry? So there's a story in the Washington Post that caught my eye, and then I talked to Pete Hegseth about it today. Um, our National Guard troops are amazing people, and they volunteer, um, and they uh, commit a, a weekend a month for training. But many of them can are, are deployed. Right. They can't be deployed. Multiple deployments over and over again. They are allowed to keep their civilian jobs. Of course, they have to. And the civilian employer can't fire you if you're in the National Guard and you lose uh, and you're unable to attend work. But because of covid and then also because of not just the U.S. capital deployment, but capitals all across the country, our National Guard troops have been deployed over and over again this past year. They there are so many of them that are now um, food insecure is the appropriate phrase but basically they're hungry their families are hungry and they do not they're not they don't make enough money to be able to sustain their families not like i'm not talking about go out and have a great time and yeah. blow it on a steak at a steak restaurant like they do not have enough food to eat and this is unacceptable somebody in congress for example nancy pelosi ought to figure out a way to take some of that extra covid relief money and get it to those troops, and they probably deserve um, a pay raise. Uh, I think they absolutely do. And I know they got a lot of praise yesterday. I watched a lot of that raw hearing mm-hmm. on C-SPAN, and they got a lot of praise but didn't have not much action to follow. I mean, I imagine the Pentagon's got money. Don't they? Can't they help? Well, I, I have – to me, we're, um, you know, we're burning a lot of calories on issues about division in the country, but I, part of – and that's important. But I think that when you have members of your own military that cannot feed their families – that should be the priority. I agree. There's no doubt about it. Uh, lastly, I had on uh, Jack Keene. He's going to have dinner with Gahani, the president of Afghanistan, tonight. Oh, wow. And who's going to meet with Joe Biden tomorrow. Oh. We only have a minute left, but how concerned are you of this being Saigon, too? You mean Af- in Afghanistan, from Afghanistan, right? Um, well, I think that all of the intel points to the government of Afghanistan and Kabul collapsing within six months of our departure. I did just see a report this morning that our, the United States government now, instead of bringing the people of Afghanistan who helped us in the effort, who we promised help, could come to this country, the Biden administration is not following through on that promise. It is unacceptable, but apparently they're going to try to get them to third countries, right? Uh, which might be a step. Yeah, and the other thing is that's saying we lost, we made a stupid mistake. I still think if we just kept the contractors there, be able to refurbish the, the Air Force we gave them, commit to some airstrikes, we could give them another 10 years to stand up on their own. Here, here. 
Uh, Dana, we're going to watch you on 5. Thank you. Five. Thanks for having me. All right. Uh, keep it here. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks so much for listening. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.